welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jansen. My guest today is Nir Eyal. He is an Israeli-born American author, lecturer, and investor known for his best-selling book, Hooked. But today we're going to talk about a new book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. So, Nir, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. So, as I stated, your first book, which I was a huge fan of, called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. I'm probably not the first person to suggest that there is now some irony in the fact that you've written a book to teach us how to get off of these habit-forming products. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, yeah, no, there's, uh, there's, there's definitely something there. And, uh, I did this intentionally, right? The books are kind of the same color and I wanted them to rhyme a little bit. There's some, there's some, uh, similar features. And, and of course, you know, the, the, the that's how, that's part of my journey. And, uh, uh, the idea was that we can use habit-forming technology for good. We can get people hooked to uh, saving money, to exercising, to being more productive at work. That's the kind of clients I work with. But then, you know, the Indistractable is a little bit of a whistleblower uh, book in that, in that I'm revealing the inner workings of of how to uh, stop being so distracted by, by some of these uh, products that use some of these similar psychological tactics to get you uh, engaged. Uh, you know, so my clients don't include... Uh, the gaming companies or the uh, cigarette companies. I don't work for any of those companies. I never will. Uh, my my intention was always to democratize these techniques so that we can use them for good, but then also become aware of how we can overuse these products sometimes and how we can put them in their place. But I want to make sure it's very clear. Distraction is much, much bigger than just tech. Tech is just the latest gadget in our hands, but we have always had potential distractions, right? Uh, uh, you know, the, whether it's working too much, whether it's drinking too much, whether it's uh, watching too much TV, there's a thing called news junkies that read too, many, too much news. I mean, there's, there's endless distractions in this world, and it's not a new problem. Socrates talked about it literally 2,500 years ago. Socrates talked about akrasia, the tendency that we have to do things against our better interests. So distraction is not a new problem. What is new is that if you are looking for distraction, well, then it's easier than ever to find. Um, yeah, and I, I like one of the things I really like about it, the fact that you did say, you know, it's not it's not just tech. I mean, that's just an excuse. That's just like the nearest, easiest thing in our pocket, I suppose, to to distract us. But I guess we can sum the whole book up a lot of ways in in the the, the three kind of categories. You know, internal triggers. Uh, you mentioned traction um, and external triggers. And so let's spend a little time, kind of. You know, tape, breaking that down a little bit of, you know, what, what an internal trigger is, you know, the traction steps that you suggest, and then obviously the external, um, triggers. But, you know, I think, I, I think in some ways, you know, the internal triggers, I think a lot of people, whether they realize they happen to them, I think they're pretty easy to identify. I mean, the, and sometimes it's just the stuff we react to, isn't it? Well, so th this is where I think that I, I want to break some myths here. I think most people think about distraction. They just think about the pings, the dings, the rings, all of these things that prompt you to distraction. The, that's the kindergarten stuff, right? The the changing your notification settings and, you know, turning off, well, you know, your, your apps or whatever. Come on. That, that, that's basic. You don't need a whole book just to tell you that. That's ridiculous. Uh, what well, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of people have suggested this, these detox things that everybody goes on just don't. Yeah, work. and it, <laughs> they, don't they never work. <laughs> they, of course, they don't work. The, the same reason that uh, that 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 a, a 
you know, 30 day diet doesn't work. That's not going to, you know, you, people diet to get into their wedding dress or into get into their wedding suit or whatever. And then we know what happens after the wedding and the weight comes back when you have these temporary arbitrary goals. And the same happens with our digital distractions. So dis the digital stuff is not the root cause. It's the proximal cause. And we love, you know, it's very convenient. It's called motivated reasoning. We want to believe that distraction is caused by these technologies. And it's just not true. There's always a root cause, whether the root cause has to do with why our kids are constantly on their devices, why work seems to constantly be a distraction. When you dig into what is the root cause, you have to start with what is the root cause of all human behavior. You know, I did not, not just why do we do things against our better interest, why do we do everything and anything? And the answer is, it's not what most people think. You know, most people think that motivation is about carrots and sticks, that uh, this is called Freud's pleasure principle, that all behavior is motivated by a desire to pursue pleasure and avoid pain. Neurologically speaking, that is not true. That is not what's happening in the brain. What's happening in the brain is one thing, and that is that all behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort. That's it, it's pain all the way down. Everything we do is about the need for homeostasis, meaning to restore psychological balance. And we know this to be true physically, right? When we're hot, we, you know, sorry, when we're cold, we put on a jacket, when we're hot, we take the jacket off. We know that physiologically when we feel discomfort, that's how the brain gets us to do stuff. And the same goes for psychological discomfort. When we're lonely, we check Facebook. When we're uncertain, we Google. When we're bored, we check you know, stock prices or ESPN or Pinterest or you name it, all kinds of things out there to relieve boredom. So this is really, really important because it turns out that the number one source of distraction are the distractions that start from within. That we have to understand the fact that if all behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort, that means that time management is pain management. So all the life hacks and all the gurus techniques of how to manage your time will not work unless you first master your internal triggers. We have to spend some time understanding what exactly are we looking to escape from? What is the emotional itch that we are looking to scratch with some kind of distraction? Let me tell you, if you can't sit at, your, at the table with your family without checking your phone, it ain't about your phone. If you can't sit down at work and focus on one task at a time without constantly checking Slack or email or whatever, it's not about Slack and email. There's something going on inside of you that unless you can cope with that discomfort, and by the way, I'm patient zero here. I wrote this book for me more than anyone else. What I wanted to do was to help people deal with these, these triggers in a healthy manner so that we don't have to rely on self-control and willpower. I am tired of people telling us self-control and willpower, self-control and willpower does not work. You have to have a system in place in order to make sure you do what you say you're going to do. But are some of these behaviors, and maybe you're going to suggest, well, that's just an internal trigger, but are some of them just habitual? I mean, we don't even know why we're doing or, or nothing triggers it. It's just that's what we do. Well, habitual, uh, the definition of a habit is an impulse to do a behavior with little or no conscious thought. And a habit is just a learned behavior. So why did we learn that behavior? Every behavior is learned because the brain, what the brain does really, really well the, 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 the primary function of this three and a half pounds of fat we carry inside our skulls every day, our brain, what it does really well is pattern match. And so if the brain learns cause and effect between what, what the source of discomfort and whatever alleviates that discomfort, that's what we come to again and again. And so then we no longer have to think about it. Is that what exactly. You're and that's where the habit is formed. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes we can have very healthy habits. Right. And sometimes we can have unhealthy habits. So the way to break these unhealthy habits, particularly when it comes to distraction, is to start with what is the source of the discomfort that we are looking to escape from. That's the first step.
Hmm. And, and in some cases, it may have nothing to do with what you're doing or your job, or, I mean, it could be something really deep-seated. Well, yeah, so there's only two answers to that problem. And so answer number one is to fix the source of the discomfort, to figure out what's going on in your life. Is it a crappy work environment? Is it that you have problems with your marriage? Is it that something else is going on in your life that you need to fix? Or many problems in life can be fixed. Look, it's part of being human, is that we feel boredom, uncertainty, stress, fatigue, loneliness. This is part of being a, a person. Uh, and so the, in those cases, what we need to do are learn strategies to cope with that discomfort in a healthier manner. Because remember, you know, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six-letter word, action, A-C-T-I-O-N. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do in life, things that you do with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, any action that pulls you away from what you want to do in life. So this is incredibly important because this leads us to the second step in terms of of the four parts of becoming indistractable. Step one is to master the internal triggers. Step two is to make time for traction. So here's the thing. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Two-thirds of people in America do not keep a calendar. Well, if you leave lots of white space in your day, you know what's going to happen. Your boss is going to take up that time. The news is going to take up that time. Facebook is going to take up. Somebody is going to claim that time unless you decide what you want to do with it. Very basic step. It's something you see across the board with C-level executives. They do it you know, forever. I have never met a C-level executive that doesn't do this already. Either they're, you know, they're carrying around some kind of piece of paper with their daily schedule or it's in their phone. So we have to start, this is no longer a luxury. Living in the 21st century means you have to plan your day and you have to synchronize your schedule with the important stakeholders in your life, with your family, with your colleagues, with your boss. It's critical to getting done what you want to get done every day and living the life you want to live. You have a couple really compelling, um, and, and actually I'm going to jump backwards a little bit um, and then come back to this value idea. But um, I want you to, you kind of glossed over pain management. Um and so I, I just want to touch on that a little bit. You actually have a uh, a title of a chapter called uh, well, now I don't have it written down right, but something about turning time management into pain is really pain management. So you you went by that pretty quickly, and I wonder if you could could maybe just unpack that thought. Sure. So this idea that all behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort. So if everything we do is about relieving psychological or physical discomfort, that means that time management is pain management. Right? All behavior is a desire to escape discomfort. So that means we can either fix the source of the problem or learn tactics to cope with it in a healthier manner so that those internal triggers, that, in, that, that psychological discomfort leads us towards traction as opposed to distraction. Feeling bad, one of the things I hate about the self-help industry that you know, I think the self-help industry has sold us this lie that we are always supposed to be happy. That if you're not happy and satisfied with your life, something's wrong with you. Nothing could be further from the truth. Evolutionarily, we are designed for dissatisfaction. And that's good. That's what our, kept our species striving and trying and inventing and working towards improvement. The, 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 so we can channel that uncomfortable sensation towards traction, towards things we want to do that are consistent with our values. And we have to be careful about making sure they don't lead us towards distraction. And now a word from a sponsor. There's no room for idle chat in business. So if email is your only moneymaker, make room for something new, Intercom. 
Intercom is the only business messenger that starts with real-time chat, then keeps growing your business with conversational bots and guided product tours. Take Intercom customer, Unity. In just 12 months, they converted 45% more visitors through Intercom's messenger. Make room for a new revenue channel. Go to intercom.com slash podcast. That's intercom.com slash podcast. So, so the, uh, the other chapter then that I want to jump to that I thought was, uh, was extremely compelling for me at least was this idea of turning values into time. Right, right. So this, this has to do with this idea, you know, if you ask people what their values are, you know, they'll talk a good game. And I certainly did, you know, oh, uh, my, what's valuable to me in my life? Oh, my health, my health is very, very important. Oh, my friends, my family, these things are very, very important to me. Are they though? Really? I mean, here's the thing. You can tell someone's values by looking at two things, their bank ledger, how they spend their money and their calendar, how they spend their time. And so if these things are really important to us, we have to make time for them in our day. They don't just happen. Having good relationships, you know, there's a loneliness epidemic in this country that we know, the psychologists tell us that loneliness is as detrimental to our health as smoking and obesity. But we can't form these relationships with people unless we make time for them and we are fully present. Same goes in the workplace. We can't do our best work unless we make time for the hard stuff, time to focus, time to think. We are so busy reacting all day between meetings and emails, we have no time for reflection. But reflection and and you know concentrated thought, this is where the best ideas come from. This is where we produce the most important work output is that time to think. Uh, so and, and then of course with our health, you know, we all know how to get healthy. We don't need to buy a, a diet book or an exercise. We, we know what to do. Everybody knows what to do, right? We all know chocolate cake isn't as healthy for you as a, as a healthful salad. Why don't we eat the right stuff? Why don't we take care of our bodies? Well, because a, a big part of it is that we haven't turned our values into time. It's got to be on your calendar or it's just not going to happen these days. Yeah. So so give us a practical. I mean, you you already mentioned the idea that people don't have calendars, which I find amazing but um but it, you know well it's it's more than just calendars it's time box calendars so i think that that we have to plan for every minute of our day and it sounds very rigid and people boohoo oh, what do you mean i want to do i don't want to plan my whole day too bad the reality of living in the 21st century you don't have to kill your own food you don't have to chop your own wood i'm asking you to make a calendar okay and that calendar and i'll give you a link for the show notes very simple to make so it takes about 30 minutes And what we want to do is to see, it's not good enough just to make that calendar, right? We also have to synchronize that schedule. It's called schedule syncing. We're doing that with the important stakeholders in our life, you know, with, with our domestic partners, with, uh, our, our, our boss. So that for the first time we, uh, we coordinate how our time will be spent. You know, so many managers, they just lob over tasks, right? Without input, right? Our only input as knowledge workers is our time. And so it's critical that we sync this. We, we do this practice of schedule syncing with our, our uh, managers so that there's a realistic expectation of what can and can't get done based on the time we have in our day. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. Though. I mean, I'm guilty of lobbing tasks over. Um, and I think that this idea that it's a two-way street. Um, but that's, you know, that's, is that something that, would you call that an, an element of culture? Is that just something that takes practice itself? It's a huge part of his culture. So half the book is about things that you can do yourself. But the fact is, you know, there, there, there's only so much that you can do yourself. So the other half of the book is about the environments we live in. So there's a section on how to make an indistractable workplace, how to raise indistractable kids, and how to have an indistractable relationship. Because the fact is, I can tell you the four steps of how to be indistractable. We only went through two of them so far. I can tell you those four steps, and you can follow them to a T. 
But if your boss decides to call you up uh, at seven o'clock on a Friday and says, oh, I need you to check email right now. There's something we need to work on. Is it the email and the phone that's at fault? Is it the technology at fault? Or is it your crappy boss? And so a big part of this is company culture. Now, if that's what you signed up for, I got no problem with that. If you want to work on Wall Street, you want to work at a startup, I get it. I've been there. Uh, go for it. If you know you're getting into a 60-hour-a-week type job, I'm not going to tell you not to. However, there is a bait and switch that goes on in many companies. They say, oh, yeah, we're a 40-hour 40, 40 week kind of place. But then you get there and you say, oh, 40 hours is how much you want me in the office. But actually, you want me to do real work on nights and weekends. And now it's a 60, 80-hour work week. That's not fair. That's a bait and switch. And so that's the kind of stuff where company culture comes into play. The good news is, and I, I profile several companies who have made the switch, and they find that not only do employees do better work, they dramatically reduce employee turnover. And they actually can find out that once they start this discussion around distraction in the workplace, all of these other skeletons in the closet come out. And so I profiled the Boston Consulting Group and, and a few other companies on how they've made this, uh, this transition, and it's remarkable. It, it benefits all types of, of, of uh, metrics in terms of the organization uh, improve once people start having this conversation around distraction. Yeah, I think that if you, if you were able to do some sort of research on most companies, you would find how much time is actually wasted. Uh, oh, my God. And, and, and that actually doing what you're talking about doing with a focus would actually give so much time back anyway. It's so true. So that's why we did. We only got to the first two steps of make t of uh, mastering internal triggers, make time for traction. The third step is to hack back the external triggers, and that's where I talk about hacking back meetings. How much time do we waste in stupid, superfluous meetings? Email, right? You know, so much of our day. There's a study done that showed that between those two things, meetings and email, there is only the average knowledge worker only has an hour and a half for everything else that isn't meetings and email. And so where does real work get done? It gets done on nights and weekends. And our health pays the price, our families pay the price, our friends pay the price. And so that's the kind of discussion we need to have is, you know, we can taper down on these stupid meetings we don't need to have and these emails that get spread. The Harvard Business Review found that 25% of the emails the average knowledge worker sends didn't need to be sent, and 25% of the emails they received didn't need to be received. So we are wasting a tremendous amount of time. Yeah, I can't tell you how often I, you know, you know, I I work in a pretty lean organization, but we do have some sponsors that have an agency that have this Ugh. component that comes to us, and and eighteen people want to meet four times to talk about something that would have taken about two seconds. In and we to cancel. <laughs> we have meetings to discuss when we're going to have meetings. Yes. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And so I, I show you exactly how to hack back all of these external triggers. External triggers are the pings, the dings, the rings, all of these things that lead us towards distraction, can lead us towards distraction. And so I talk about these eight different environments, group chat, meetings, email, cell phone, uh, your desktop, all of these places where we can hack back these external triggers. And, and it is possible. I mean, some people who have read the book, uh, Shane Snow is a, a, another author, said he reduced the time he spent on email by 90% after using these methodologies. Yeah. And I, I think on, on the surface, an individual, I think we could look at this book and say, well, this is a, this is a book about habits, but I think a company could look at this and say, this is a book about leadership and about management. Couldn't they? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's so much of, I mean, there is an element of breaking bad habits. Um, not so much building, building habits that that was more about what hooked was about. My first book was about how to build habits facilitated by technology, but absolutely. I think, you know, the, the to, to expect it to just be on the employee is a little bit narrow. Uh, I think there, there needs to be something to be said for company culture. Uh, that plays a huge component into how to, how to help people be their best. And in fact, we know that there is factors in 
like that literally drive us crazy. I'm not being figurative here. The work of Stansfield and Candy found that when a work environment has two conditions, you know, you think about, okay, what type of work environments lead to depression and anxiety disorder? If you'd say, okay, where is there the most correlation between the kind of jobs that lead to anxiety and depression disorder? You would think it'd be like a sad job, right? A mortician or somebody who works in a slaughterhouse. No, no, no. It's not what you do. It's the environment you do it in. Turns out that companies that have a work environment where people have high expectations coupled with low control, this is the type of workplace that literally leads to depression, anxiety disorder. And so, and, and it's, it's, you don't have to have both, by the way. If you have high expectations and high control, you're fine. It's when you have this work environment of high expectations and low control, that's when things go off the rails. And here's what's so frustrating about those type of environments. What do people do when they don't feel in control? You know, psychological agency is incredibly important. It's, 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 a, it's, it's one of these core things that we need for psychological well-being and flourishing. We have to feel agency and control over what we do. When people don't feel in control, you know what they do? They call stupid meetings. They send stupid emails that don't need to be sent. Why? Because they are grasping for control and agency. And it makes the problem worse, not only for them, for everyone else as well. So let's bring these three things together into the fourth part. Yeah, so the fourth part is about preventing distraction with pacts. So the third step was about keeping the uh, external triggers out. This is about keeping yourself in. And so this is where we make what's called a pre-commitment. It's where we make some kind of pact uh, with ourselves or with someone else. There are three types of these pre-commitments, an effort pact, a price pact, and an identity pact that we can use to make sure that we can keep ourselves in. And so a lot of what we can do here leverages technology, ironically enough, to prevent distraction from technology. So, so, so we've talked a lot about companies, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning families taking this on. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So my favorite section of the book and where I learned the most, I have an 11-year-old little girl who some of her first words, I'm not kidding, her first, some of her first words, I think after Dada, was iPad time, iPad time. Uh, so, you know, now she's 11 and we, 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 you know, the challenges have certainly changed. But this is, this is a very important skill. You know, if, if you think the world is distracting now, <laughs> just, just wait a few years. You know, virtual reality, augmented reality, you, you, you know the world is not going to become less distracting. It's going to become more potentially distracting. So if we don't teach our kids how to become indistractable, they're going to be in big trouble. I think this is going to be the skill of the century, that kids who can focus, who use the power of becoming indistractable to do what they think is important in life, these are the kids who are going to have a huge competitive advantage over the kids who let their lives uh, just be controlled by other people. Yeah, I wonder if there's going to be a time when they're teaching this um, in schools. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, from your mouth to God's ears. I hope so. I really hope so. And, and you know, the thing is, I'm not one of these, uh, you know, uh, Luddites that says, oh, technology is so evil. It's so bad. You know, just get rid of the technology. No, that doesn't solve our problem. And we can't do that. You know, we, to be not to not be tech literate is, is uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to succeed without understanding how to use these tools. So I believe that we can get the best out of technology without letting it get the best of us. And if we're rational about it, you know, look, I'm a tech insider. I know how these tools are built. 
And I can tell you where these these uh, these tactics work and where they don't, where, what the Achilles heel is for how we can regain our attention uh, and control our lives. It's actually not all that hard. We just have to understand the root causes as opposed to the proximal causes because – you know, there's a lot of motivated reasoning here. We want to blame technology. It's a, especially us parents, <laughs> right? We love blaming. You know, my generation, it was it was uh, Mario, Super Mario Brothers, and before that, it was heavy metal music, and before that, it was comic books. I mean, it, every generation of parents, we love to blame something that you know helps us deflect responsibility. But it turns out those are never the root causes. There's something else going on. And that's that's what we have to deal with first and foremost. Speaking with Nir Eyal, the author of indistractable so near tell people and of course we'll have it in the show notes but tell people where they can find out more and i think you'll actually have some resources related to the book as well absolutely yeah so my website is near and far uh near spelt like my first name so it's n-i-r and far.com near and far.com and at indistractable.com you can get uh, an 80 page workbook we couldn't fit into the to the print edition so that's available there it's a complimentary workbook as well as a free video course and all that is at indistractable.com. It's spelled I-N, the word distract, A-B-L-E. So indistractable.com. Neil, thanks so much for stopping by uh, the podcast. And hopefully we'll run into you soon out there on the road. My pleasure. Thanks so much, John. 